Hello, you're listening to the Mag Culture podcast recorded right here in the Mag Culture shop, Clerkenwell, London. I'm Jeremy Leslie. And I'm Liv Siddall. Hello and welcome to the Mag Culture podcast. Hi Jeremy, how are you? I'm very well, you? Very good, thank you. We've got a jam-packed episode today with a quick run through some new and noteworthy magazines and issues, followed by an interview with Jenny Van Summers about working with a mouse for the shoot of the new cover for The Gourmand. And then we've got a brilliant conversation between Jeremy and the previous editor of New York magazine, Adam Moss. So quite a lot to get through. a lot, a lot. So you've just been in New York, haven't you, Jeremy? I've just been out there. So we've um, just opened our Mag 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 pop-up at Bitsu, which has been very exciting. Um, And that's a prelude to Mod Mag later this month. And alongside the shop, where we're selling a whole load of um, our favourite magazines, we've had some of our friends come around for various talks, conversations, some of which we'll share on the podcast in future episodes. But we've had um, Rob from Oso, the skateboard, women's skateboarding magazine, um, Caitlin from Racket, Alison from American Core Data, and Felix from Pinup all having a chat about what they're doing with their magazines. I also caught up with Adam Moss, who has, as you say, just left New York magazine, and we sort of um, had a debrief about what, what sort of looking back at his time there. So it's cool. a good conversation. We'll be sharing that later in this pod. Yeah, I can't wait to hear that. Before we go on to that, we wanted to run through a few new and noteworthy Absolutely. publications. There's always loads. Always We're a back lot. here in London, and you come back, and the shelves are, are groaning with new, fresh new magazines. <laughs> we had to be very, very picky, didn't we? It's true. We always are. We always yeah, are, well, We always are, but extra picky this time. <laughs> I wanted to start with the new issue, number 23 of Apartamento. Just a quick mention, because there seems to be a kind of Japanese thread running through the whole issue, so it's very interesting and it begins with this fantastic interview with 83-year-old Japanese graphic designer, illustrator, printmaker and painter, Tandanori Yoku, whose house just looks incredible. It's like a kind of maximal home just filled with treasure. It's kind of like how I imagine the Room of Requirement in Harry Potter, just precious antiques just thrown mm-hmm. around and mad things all over the place. But I think the best thing in the issue is on page 320, which is a double-page spread of Thomas Lauderdale's living room. Mm-hmm. Worth buying just for that, I think. Page 320, that's yes. a big magazine. And that's not even it? towards the end. It's weighty. Also excited, um, haven't actually seen the issue yet, but imminent, a new arrival anytime now will be the 12th issue of The Gormand. Excellent. We shared the cover shoot recently on the journal. Um, the cover shoot, if, if, in case you haven't seen it, it is um, it involves cheese. Yes. Can you which, describe the cover for anyone who hasn't seen well, it? Well, of course, it, being The Gormand, it's not simply just cheese. They, they have some fun with it and... Uh, They've added mice, the classic kind of um, real combination. Mice. Real mice. Real mice on real, real, real cheese. cheese. Real cheese and real <laughs> mice. But uh, I spoke to um, the photographer, Jenny Van Sommers, who's, who's often worked with the magazine. and She collaborates regularly with uh, the creative director, David Lane. And she explained a little bit about the background to how the shoot came about. This one was very much David's baby. And he had uh, an old photograph from the 80s from a magazine like Domus or something with the that sort of 80s lighting where it drops out at the back. <clears throat> and it's a bit of a dying art doing that kind of mm-hmm. that kind of lighting in camera. Um, so that was a lot of fun for me, getting that to work. So that's, and then, that's the kind of horizon line. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It actually hasn't rendered, it doesn't render very well here because um, it sort of suddenly goes from light to dark, but it does actually grad. Anyway, so he had this idea for mice and cheese. So we just went to the market together and we selected cheese like we literally (laughs) just selected these cheese we didn't have any spare and then um we had a casting Mm -hmm. for the mice so uh, so so where do you go for mice well there's a number of um, there's a number of places yeah in in um britain that do animal actors and um mice don't uh, live for an enormously long time so they're not trained or anything they're just they don't build a career they don't build a career <laughs> no they don't no they don't kind of like build an image and a brand for themselves no they um they just are born and um uh yeah and they look after them and you know handle them quite a bit i get i guess mm-hmm. some people are afraid of them which is always astonishing to me because they're such mild little things anyway the funny thing about this is that mice don't like cheese. They no. don't like it. They nope. They're not into it. <laughs> they're not into cheese. Like you can lead them to the cheese, but they will not eat it. They don't even. They didn't. So, well, even. so where does this myth come it's from? It's a myth. So okay. So I don't know. Maybe it comes from Walt Disney. Who knows? Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it's not true. 
So I had visions of them sort of you having stacks and stacks of cheese and you having to replace them as they Absolutely ate, ate their way through it. That was one they couldn't sli- be less one piece of each cheese. To take you back to the car- the, the casting. Yes, so, okay. So, so we wanted a variety. Different colours, different yeah, types. Yeah, we wanted a variety. Yeah. I was hoping they would all be about the same size mm-hmm. so that I can control my composition, but that didn't happen. So, yeah, we just tried to get various different ones, different sort of shapes and sizes, and we found that fantastic one, which is black and white with the long hair. Mm -hmm. And he was a bit of a superstar, to be honest. Uh Yeah. The lighting of the background took several hours. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, my sort of single light source on the cheese, and then we got the mice out, and just the trainer just came over and gently put the mouse on the cheese. And they're pretty... They're pretty laid back creatures, mm-hmm. really. I mean, they they just sort of moved around a little bit, and I just they didn't of, make a run for it. They did not make a run no. for it. Uh uh-uh, oh no, mm. no. They like the camera, and I guess under the the light was tungsten, so it's nice and warm, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they had no reason to go anywhere. So I just sort of waited for my little moments where they were doing something mm-hmm. that I liked, and. Uh, yeah, and then there's not very much retouching. There's a few hairs and things which we took out. The mice, you know, I would absolutely recommend them as a model. They are, yeah, they are compliant, Brilliant. very compliant. Yes. Well, the results and sweet, are beautiful. Very sweet. Thank you very, the very much. The results are beautiful. And um, so thanks for telling That's us a little bit about pleasure. the background. That's an absolute pleasure. That's a pleasure. Thanks for joining us, Jenny. And I should point out, Jenny, as well as working with animals, she has a beautiful Vizsla dog that sometimes pops into the shop. So come back soon, both of you. Yes, definitely would like to meet that visitor dog. Absolutely. So, so what else are we going to... Um, hang on. What just... else caught our attention? You want to have a look at the Violet book? Yes, the new issue of the Violet book, which is Leith Clark's biannual fashion royalty magazine. We, we say fashion royalty because the colophon is like reading the guest list of a party that you will literally never be invited to. For example, editor-in-chief is Leith Clark. Then you've got deputy editor Luella Bartley. You've got Amanda Decadene's editor-at-large. You've got Bay Garnet, fashion director. Then you've got contributing editor, Kira Knightley. No big deal. You've just got a huge, amazing... <laughs> list you know uh, Marissa uh, uh, acting art director yeah Marissa Book is the acting art director um she used to be at Elle and many other magazines. Lovely. It's just a kind of, it's a really, well, you can tell it's a, it's a great collection of women behind it. It's a really, really good issue of the magazine. And there's a lot of really good interviews as well. I mean, there is, there's the photography, but the, the interviews, they, they do that thing which can sometimes work really well and sometimes doesn't, but they have famous people interviewing famous people. Yeah, and exactly. They do, they do that really well. Yeah, because they're utilising their fantastic pool of uh, the, the friends, I suppose. But you've got stuff like there's a really lovely essay uh, by Kieran Knightley called The Weaker Sex. There's interviews with Scarlett Curtis. There's a really great feature on sisters. And the whole issue is kind of filled with little flowers and like daisies and things. So it feels very spring like. Um, there is also in this issue a really fantastic feature inside on skin conditions. Which is, which is created by inviting five women um, to talk about psoriasis, acne, traumatic scarring, birthmarks, vitiligo. And that's accompanied by some very beautiful photos by Clara Jimindari. Also in this issue uh, are two fantastic interviews with Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie and Natasha Leone, among many others. So really pick that up. That mm-hmm. is really incredible. And it's glossy, it's beautiful, it's full of flowers. It's just it's a very springy, fantastic issue. And I'm really glad we drew attention to that because it's, it's actually it's issue 11 and it's sort of... A, been under the radar. I don't yeah. think people notice it, but it's yeah. just quietly got on with what it's doing, and it's become something very strong. I, I completely agree. Yeah, it's really impressive. The next magazine I want to have a look at is the new issue of Creator Review. Now, every year they have an annual roundup of the best design, and, the, and the, that's what this one is. And it it gives a slightly disappointing amount of space to magazine design. They've got some great projects. Um, there's the New York Times magazine, which is like you know, if you're going to pick on editorial design, what, <laughs> where else are you going to look? Uh, and there's also the National Geographic's uh, amazing um, relaunch cover when they had the iceberg with the plastic bag. Yeah. Both re- really, really well worth um, worth noting. And then also, uh, slightly more um, left field, but still from the New York Times, but from their labs division, is a, is a new series of projects they highlight, which is from art director um, or creative director uh, Deborah Bishop who has been doing the kids section, which we were just looking at, and it's fantastic, isn't it? It's I, extraordinary. I, 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 honestly, um, that is just that has blown me away. Yeah. I've never seen anything so, so they wonderful. Ta- they, they take the newspaper format, the long, tall, sort of large New York Times format, and they fill it with illustration and fantastic typography. We interviewed her on the journal earlier this week, and um, Deborah described it, 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 the work as essentially designing posters, and that's exactly what they are. It's yeah. kind of adapting 
often kids' things are really small, and this is really big. And you can just imagine kids opening it up on the Sunday mo- uh, morning breakfast table and pouring over it. Yeah, and also it's not twee. It's not kind yeah. of it's it's not cutesy. It's just really cool. Like a lot of the articles you just want to read, no matter what age you are. I mean, on the front cover you've got articles. Um, how to win an argument with your parents, design your own superhero with help from Marvel, solve a mystery with science, the best roller coasters on the planet, page 13. I mean, that sounds good. I want to read all of this. And the design and everything is funny and the interviews are great. And I remember reading when I was a kid, like reading the Fun Day Times and the kind of the, the children's supplements and newspapers, but they were never as cool as this. I feel like <laughs> this is just, it's perfect. And it's that nice kind of um, long format that you can imagine kind of like an eight-year-old in New York sort of... Yeah. Um, and I, I think you put your finger on it. I mean, it looks it, it, when you first see it, it looks fantastic. But then when you start yeah. examining it, it closer, it's it reads. It's, it's a great editorial thing as well. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. Another design magazine, a first issue this time, I wanted to mention is Raid, which is more of a zine-like thing. But it's uh, the people behind this invite uh, graphic designers to first conceive of a an idea for a computer game and then design the logo for it. There's some very funny ideas in here. The, the, the one I hope to see come to fruition is Cafeteria, which um, I'll just quickly read about it. It's a food fight simulator. The player navigates the school cafeteria, picking up food along the way and flinging it at rival gangs such as the goths, the nerds and the sportsmen. Watch out for cops and the fascist school principal. The player loses <laughs> when they are covered in food and can no longer see their screen. <laughs> I want to play that so much. Yeah, that, that's a proper game. And then, of course, there, there's, a, there's a lovely cafeteria-type uh, logo that the designer who came up with the idea has designed. That's a, should credit Eric Carter as the man behind that. But yeah. the, it's basically just a celebration of the, the idea of, of um, computer games and the daft kind of logos that accompany them. Yeah, it's perfect. Elsewhere in this ginormous pile, we have issue 10 of Subway magazine, which I've been seeing for such a long time, but I've never really quite understood. But I'm not, now I look at this, I'm kind of not really sure I'm meant to understand it. It's, <laughs> it's kind of conceptual. This, it's a very small publication, a bit about the size of So Young magazine. And it's, this issue is guest edited by Fabiano Lemos, who organises the Fotos des Otros project, which is an archive of over 10,000 abandoned photos that he's collected from garbage bins around the world. So this issue has a kind of weird musical slant, but there's some quite abstract features, like how to write a pop song and a feature on samba. There's articles about, I mean, the front cover, it has, says, you know, the, it features the Pet Shop Boys, and you're thinking, oh, cool, there's a Pet Shop Boys interview in here. That's, that's kind of mad. And then you read it, and it's just photos. It's, it's, it's a piece about the Pet Shop Boys, a kind of, almost like a kind of Wikipedia entry, accompanied by photos of... How would you describe that, Jeremy? Well, <laughs> well, I guess that they're vaguely related to the subject in that they are pairs of people, but they're they're sort of they're like from some strange wedding. But it they're, they're like from the archive, right? So I mean, they, all, all these articles are genuine articles, but he's he's illustrated them with obscure images from from his archive that kind of match and kind of don't match. Yeah, like a kind um, of a feature on poodles, but it's not about poodles, but there's photos of poodles. It's all very confusing, yeah, but in, yeah. a, in a very fun way. There's also a really, um, it's bookended by these two features, a page of Kim Jong-un quotes and a page of Kim Kardashian quotes. And I was wondering if you wanted to play a game of who said it, Jeremy. Okay, go on. <laughs> Let's go. Okay. There can be neither today without yesterday nor tomorrow without today. Who said oh, that's, it? that's Kim Kardashian, obviously. <laughs> so profound. <laughs> I'm afraid not. The days are gone forever when our enemies could blackmail us with nuclear bombs. <laughs> Kim the man. Yes, Kim the man. Um, personally, I've always loved the curvy look. Got <laughs> oh, to say that, Kim Jong Un. <laughs> uh, no, it's Kim Kardashian. Oh, no, 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 can't be. Um, so on from there, yeah. All these magazines, so great. There really are some fantastic things here, and I'm so pleased yes. to have had a look at them. Again, I'm really glad you highlighted Subway. Sorry to drag back, but I, I love magazines that are really well-formulated and sensible, but that is just absurd and twisted, and I love it for it. And now I think it's probably time to have our Adam Moss Head interview. back to New York. Yeah. yeah. So it was a pleasure to welcome Adam to the Mag 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 pop-up. I started by asking him what he's been up to since he left New York Magazine. So it's only been six weeks. My last day at New York was um, on the 29th of March. And uh, I'm really trying to figure out, you know, what I want to do when I grow up. Um, the sort of my theory of leaving was that, you know, getting old. And uh, I was, I want to see what else I can do. I've done the same thing 
in different iterations for 40 years. And uh, I'm interested in the sort of bigger principles that that represents, different ways to tell stories, that sort of thing. And I'm eager to explore other ways to do that. I also just wanted to see what it was like not being in an institution. Um, and uh, which I really liked, <laughs> but you know, because uh, you, you were there 15 years. At New York, I was in New York for 15 years. I was at the Times before that for 12 years, 13 years. So uh, this magazine called Seven Days, which I started in '88 and it ended in '90. And before that, I was at Esquire. So I mean, I've had a history of being in jobs, uh, and I wanted to see what life was like as a more kind of independent agent. What that means, I don't know. What you can actually mm -hmm. do creatively. Magazines are so collaborative. The work I've been doing always is about the interaction with uh, you know other people who are creative and interesting and, and, and who form a family. And so how you can do that from the outside, outside of an institution, not actually sure. So- um, But presu I mean, presumably after 15 years with that very close experience of working on first a weekly and then the- uh, Bi-weekly, bi and then also you know, five digital magazines, which mm -hmm. were, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're open to full definitions of what magazines are, because we, we think of them very, very much as magazines mm -hmm. um, that just have a, a, a digital life. Yeah, so I've been doing that for a mm -hmm. long time. <laughs> and I imagine at first it was a kind of oh, a slight relief, but... But do I miss it already? But you're missing, I mean, the, well, the routine. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 mean, I, mean, I don't miss the routine. Uh -huh. I don't actually miss the routine. I miss, you know, I miss the collaboration. Mm -hmm. um, but, it, you know, what happens in a lot of these institutions that are large, and, and New York got larger and larger as over the 15 years I was there, is that, you know, the, the person in my job ends up doing a lot of managing because a place needs to be taken care of. And, uh, and the managing was the part that I was like actually sick of. Mm -hmm. So um, how do I do this? How do I do the creative part without the managing part? Um, I'll let you know. <laughs> I'll be back. Um, I mean, presumably the, the routine was very regular in terms of the day-to-day -day work life, but that must have shifted enormously now. I mean, Sure. Are you doing so, a lot of sleeping? Or well, I'm sleeping, yeah, a little bit more. Better. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely the time I'm sleeping is like, actually, I sleep. Um, instead of waking up in the middle of the night worried about something. So I'm doing that. I'm, I'm trying to teach myself how to paint, so I'm doing that. And then I have gigs. I've joined the gig economy. And, uh, you know, people have come to me and said, can you help us figure out this problem? And so I... You know, I'm kind of interested. It's a, it's an interesting way to sort of dip your toe into someone else's culture, and I hope Presumably I, can, I hope it can be helpful. Other publishing entities, yeah. No, not necessarily. Yeah. So you know, um, there are other institutions that are interested in ways of expressing themselves outside. So mm -hmm. one of them is a museum. Mm -hmm. One of them is a. I shouldn't really say what they are, but you know, one of them involves audio and audio storytelling. And, uh, and one of them is a book publishing company. So uh -huh. there's actually none of them are, are strictly speaking magazines. Magazines don't have any money anymore. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, and, and they're all like, you know, sort of short term projects and good, a good thing to be doing right now. Um, and then the fall, I'm doing a fellowship at Harvard, which is more about the political politics as, a, as, as the content of what I do. And we're going to, we're going to make a magazine up there, um, a digital magazine. Yeah, I'm just playing around. And getting busier and busier. And I'm, I'm really, yeah, I'm very busy. <laughs> I hadn't meant to be busy, but I was so afraid of the void and, you know, and, you know, waking up terrified that I did manage to mm -hmm. find things to do. Maybe, you know, my shrink certainly thinks I'm doing way too much <laughs> and that I should just like, you know, relax into this, but I'm not really built that way. So here I am. I'd like to take take you back to the to your time at New York Magazine, sure. and and just um, on on a broad, on in the broadest sense, look back. And sort of, have you had a chance to sort of consider, with a little bit of distance, what you achieved there? Uh, yeah, I mean, in my view, what we did, and just quickly to go through it, is I came to join a magazine I had always loved, and that kind of had run its course of what it was doing, and. It kind of had to be reinvented somewhat. Um, so the first 
job was to reinvent it, which was mainly in my own view, a restoration project because I wanted to actually go back to some of the uh, founding principles um, and see how they worked in modern times. So that was really the first. So we remade the magazine quite substantially at the beginning. The wonderful staff there, along with um, Luke Heyman, who was the design director, and Jerry Kwan, who was the photo director, and um, and it was elaborate and, I, to me, completely satisfying experience of, of invention, which ran parallel to us actually running the magazines. We would do the reinvention at night and the running the magazine at the day, and we were working like crazy, and, and it was just as creatively exciting as anything I have ever done. So there's that project, and then very, very quickly, we started to uh, ramp up a digital constellation of publications. So we made this thing called Vulture, which was a magazine about culture and entertainment, um, we, which in a way was born from the culture pages of the actual physical magazine. Um, we made this thing called Intelligencer, which was at first a sort of gossip site and actually moved into being a quite serious political site, politics and business. And, and did, did these uh, individual cha um, channels, if you like, did they, were they all born of parts from the magazine? Yeah, I mean, you know, roughly speaking, mm -hmm. what we realized early on, what my whole take on what we were doing in New York was that we, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a magazine about New York City. It was a magazine about the way New Yorkers saw the world, which is a tremendous, which was really what Clay Felker, who's the founder of the magazine, and, and Milton Glaser, they co-founded it. It was what really they had decided from the very beginning. From the very beginning, they were not that preoccupied with, the, with New York City. I mean, New York City was... I mean, they believed New York was the capital of the world and was everything. So that did animate everything that they did, but they were also very interested in Washington. Um, they were interested in Hollywood. They were interested in, in, in anything a New Yorker would likely be preoccupied with. So that gave us license in my time, which was 35 years after they'd founded it, or 30, whatever, four, to apply that same principle to digital publishing. And, and what we found very quickly was that digital publishing was a more vertical experience than a horizontal experience, which is that people digitally wanted to sort of dive into one arena. So what we did was we created, with the same sensibility, the same point of view, we created these digital magazines that expressed one obsessive area of New York's interest. So Grub Street was born from the magazine's actually amazing food coverage. Vulture was born from its, um, from its entertainment coverage. Uh, Intel was always, Intelligencer was a, a, a feature of the magazine from the very beginning and it was just short bits. So it was really just that short, which, and then as I say, it evolved over time, had actually many different identities, but settled into what is really, I think, a fantastic political site, politics and business site. And then uh, The Cut was born originally from uh, the fashion, coverage of the magazine, and that then also evolved with the times to become much more of a sort of um, full-fledged uh, kind of feminist-inflected publication that is political and, and, and stylish and also um, deals with uh, kind of issues of the life of a modern woman. There was also there was a fashion magazine called Look. Yeah, so briefly, um, we also spun off magazines. And so one of the things that we did was uh, create a, a, a magazine that was entirely about the runway experience. And that was called Look, and it was a, uh, really very beautiful. I think we did five issues of it, and then just financially, it didn't make any mm -hmm. sense anymore. Lately, the last one we did was create something called The Strategist, which is in many ways the most innovative thing that we did because we took this, the, the original principle of New York was one of its aspects was not just to cover the world, but also to, to help you live it in a more um, interesting and creative way. Um, so service journalism was a huge part of the initial idea, and we were in the business of recommending things. And, uh, so we decided to create a site of recommendations, um, which would have the sense of humor and the sense of life um, and the sense of integrity that actually the, the journalism did, but we would also allow people to buy from it. So it's an e-commerce site, but it's very much an editorial site. Um, it's quite successful. And 
it was very important, particularly as the business model for magazines started to falter, advertising as the sole uh, revenue driver started to falter, it was really good to have other ways that the magazine could support itself. But with the exception of the strategists, they all started as blogs, which is mm -hmm. like a very more limited um, scope. And then over time, the staffs got bigger, the ambition of, what, of how you could tell stories digitally began to excite us and, uh, and readership really grew. So uh, they became really, in my view, completely, complete magazines. Mm -hmm. They were doing, they were easily as ambitious as anything we were doing in print. I mean, certainly the cut. I mean, I, you mm -hmm. know, I, I talk to people in London and they love the cut. They, they don't even know that it's a part and that, of the And that's, the, and that's totally fine yeah. with us which is that some people um, just experience these things completely separately and some experience mm -hmm. it all as being one thing and, and we're good with either. Whether people know it or not, what unites the whole thing is very much a point of view, a cosmopolitan point of view um, that is just shared mm -hmm. among all of the publications. So when I think about, to the answer your question from before, when I think about the accomplishment, it's like we started with one magazine and we ended up with six. And we, and we managed to, I think, transition into the digital age really amazingly well. Do they all stand alone financially? Are they, are they all, in, well, or, financially, or, or does every, everything feed each other? And You know, it's like one, so their business models are different, so, mm -hmm. uh, so they all have advertising on them, so in that sense, there's one ad department that sells all the stuff. And right now, in the last, since um, the fall, we have instituted what, what you would call a paywall, but inside, for whatever reason, we call a subscription product. And that means that, um, that if, you, uh, are, uh, if you are a loyal reader, and, and we measure loyalty in various different ways, you will have to pony up money eventually. And when you pony up money, you pony up money for the whole thing. And may come a time where we offer subscriptions to each of the individual mm -hmm. parts. But right now, they are yeah, so from the subscription point of view, like the New York Times. It's you. It's you, all or nothing. It's all or nothing. Yeah. Yes. And is there a good take up on that? Yeah, it's been mm -hmm. great. I mean, it's been. Um, we've learned a lot. You know, it was like a really strong start, like crazy strong start. And then we were, you know, and then we had sort of theories about what would cause people to subscribe. And one of those theories were that it was not so much about traffic or numbers of people or quantity, but it was really about the, the people who were interested in the more ambitious engage, engagement stuff. That actually proved to be true and not true. Um, it also still very, very much mattered how many people were, mm -hmm. um, were looking at your stuff. So we were learning what, like what causes someone to subscribe. It's like right now, um, you know, if you go to the site, you will see 47,000 articles on Game of Thrones every minute. And, uh, and that, you know, the, our readership is like really into Game of Thrones and the coverage is really good. Uh, but that stuff, the stuff that's just like funny and quick has as much value to the subscriber mm -hmm. as like uh, something that had been a cover story of the magazine itself. So it's like, you know, it's, we're, we're learning how to do it just the same way anyone who's now gone into the subscription business. I mean, magazines, if you think about them, they had been, it, it was an insane business model all those years, that you had advertisers who couldn't really measure whether their advertising was working, fully supporting the business itself because, at least in the United States, I know this yeah. is different in Britain, the price of magazines was nothing. You know, uh, well, well, those cards that fall out of them sort of yes. subscribe for subscribe five for a dollar, so, you yeah, know, yeah. a dollar an issue or something like that. I mean, you know, if you just think about what is this thing really worth, it was completely subsidized by advertisers. And so when advertising wanted to use other means um, a lot to reach their readers, uh, mostly like Google and Facebook and things that were highly uh, made highly efficient by the ways that the internet worked. That was a big, big problem for magazines. It's a big problem for all magazines. And so uh, magazines had to figure out different ways to stay in business. And, and, and one of them, happily, has been that there, there seems to be some growing willingness for uh, the consumer to pay more for what they get. And clearly that's the case at New York. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'd like to just go back to something, a point you made about the the, the effectively six magazines sharing the same tone of voice. Yeah. Because alongside all that, one of the things coming from the design aspect that mm -hmm. fascinates me is that 
they share the same design. Pretty much. Um, I mean, there's different. You know, I mean, there are changes, but they has the same sure. character. Yes, absolutely. There is um, a, a genius there. <laughs> His name is Ian Adelman, who was the creative director, and he he really created the original digital mm-hmm. um, digital look and feel in, of all of the publications um, digitally. And he very much, his interest was to kind of figure out ways to sh- uh, share the same values that the print magazine had. And I think succeeded. But all this, every one of those sites has been, probably had two or three redesigns since its mm-hmm. origin. Uh, they've all, they're all on 3.0, 4.0, whatever internet lingo you want to use for it. But, but I, I mean, I've spoken uh, with Luke Heyman, yeah. Chris Dixon, yeah. Jody Kwan, yeah. and one of the things they all say is is that as, as an editor, it's New York. Yeah, <laughs> it's, we're really here. Um, <laughs> as an editor, you have a really, really strong eye for design. I hope that that's true. Well, I definitely have an enormous interest in it, uh-huh. well, <laughs> and I and I believe very, very much that that readers, and this is true of print. Definitely, but it's also really true of digital, are super sensitive to design. And design becomes as an important uh, conveyor of the voice and point of view of the magazine mm-hmm. as any words do. So I'm interested to know what happened. I mean, presumably you didn't study design at university or anything. You didn't come from that angle. So wh- where did you pick up that eye for design, do you think? What, what, where did you learn that? Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess by reading magazines, you know, mm-hmm. and by seeing um, what... I responded to, and then uh, I have been really lucky over my whole career to work with amazing designers, mm-hmm. um, and so they all taught me. And they were so shocked in many cases that an editor would be interested in what they do. A lot of the editors just like, yeah, you do that, and I don't care what the thing looks like. And that's insane. However, that is the way people are, and I was never like that. And uh, and particularly, I think. Uh, so I worked with this guy named J.C. Suarez on this first magazine I did call, uh, the first magazine I was the editor of, called uh, Seven Days, and it was, he, was, he taught me an enormous amount. He would just like sweep in for five minutes. He's the guy who did, he's like an actual, if you know this stuff, he's a, he's a sort of legend, he's no longer alive. But he will, it was also the, um, Seven Days had a, um, you know, had a very original look, and I didn't hire him, he was hired by the publisher before I even got there. And so uh, he was just very interested and he was older than me and he was just, he's like, would set me down and he would say, okay, this is, this is how you do it and this is what works. So I learned from him. Mm-hmm. Then when I was at the Times, um, I worked with Jenna Froelich and uh, Kathy Ryan principally mm-hmm. and I was just crazy interested in what they did and they were patient, wonderful teachers. And that's also where I met Jody. And then when I went to New York, I brought Jody with me, and uh, we hired Luke, who was an amazing teacher also. So I just feel like I've been taught. Now they, I know, all say, well, you know, you taught us, you taught me, whatever. But it's really, you know, you can't separate these activities, really. It is just like, you know, it's all family dynamics. And... uh, and you work with each other and feed off each other. And But yes, I am definitely way, way, way more uh, engaged in the visual side of the publications I work with than most editors. Mm-hmm. And I remember you saying to me uh, in one conversation we had that you wanted the magazine to feel like New York City, to feel not too, not too tidy, not too slick, to have a bit of grit about it. Well, it was grit and also um, when Luke came aboard, we talked about this and um, what should the new magazine look like as we were redesigning it entirely. Um, and, you know, we came up with the most obvious thing in the world, which is that it should look like New York. Um, but we didn't only mean in terms of the grit, although that was mm-hmm. quite a bit of it. We, you know, we meant in terms of the visual sophistication and all that stuff also. But really, particularly, we thought of the grid system of New York City streets. And, uh, and the fact that you know, New York is very well organized for most of it, like this, and then suddenly all that density, mm-hmm. density, density, density of New York City was like really an interesting thing to play with in magazine design. And then suddenly you get to like Central Park or Prospect Park and woo, the, you know, the density disappears. And so that you know, dynamic of packedness to uh, sort of an explosion of lux- luxurious nothingness 
was a you know was a wonderful thing to to work with as as Luke was designing and and you know with his partners which included me the magazine originally mm -hmm. yeah and actually the the the, the digital uh, visual identity is also very much oriented towards density uh -huh. yeah, so density yeah. is really density has always been sort of the guiding visual principle density that also is legible and mm -hmm. interesting and all that mm -hmm. other stuff. Yeah. And, then, and something when you were talking about the, your time at the magazine that, that you didn't mention was the shift from being weekly to bi-weekly. Bi so yeah, so then we had for various reasons, and, and the reasons weren't entirely financial, although that was one thing. It was that the, the, the invention of a weekly was very much based on how people read in the days that the weekly publication was mm -hmm. created. They didn't have uh, a, a whole other publishing mechanism to cover things in real time. And we now had that. So we were publishing, you know, 75 to 100 to then eventually 150 stories a day. Mm -hmm. So the weeklyness didn't necessarily make sense. So what we thought was, okay, really separate them. Let's do a, um, you know, we give people instant response in our digital publications and then let's do something slower, more deliberate in the physical magazine and create stuff that is cooked for mm -hmm. longer. And that that then made sense and that it took two weeks really to do that. And also you're putting all that into it. And actually I think a lot of people who get weeklies are slightly overwhelmed by uh, them. So that, 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 so that there was a, there was a, reading logic as well as financial logic. Uh, and did that have a shift in sales and subscriptions or I mean, did it just... Um, people? Yeah, people, you know, we were terrified that it would be rejected uh, by the readers who had um, gotten so used to a weekly frequency. But no, people accepted it pretty mm -hmm. easily um, and it did the trick. I mean, one of the things that for which, uh, I mean, uh, there are a lot of magazines sort of joining in the game in, in this sense, but something that's really important now is, is, is perhaps more important than ever is the front cover and the front cover design and the reach that it has above and beyond. Uh, I mean, it's, it's probably less likely to be on a newsstand now, but it's going to be on, there are on so social. There's so many fewer newsstands. Yeah, so that, I mean, New York Magazine always was a little bit of an outlier in the sense that it never really depended on like supermarkets. That's not, that's not where its readers came. It's 95% subscriptions from the beginning. So we were always, we always, we, when I was there, and then also really from the very founding in 68, there was a um, ability to make more considered covers that were really, um, just to use the crude business term, brand expressions, um, as well as uh, they weren't just about like hustling content. And that was a great liberation. And so the, yeah, the cover of the magazine has always been important. Other magazines though, that used to have to compete on the newsstands now are kind of liberated mm -hmm. by the mm -hmm. fact that they don't have to do that. And they can make magazines that, magazine covers that um, are poster-like mm -hmm. as yeah. opposed to uh, you know, product-like. We've been talking quite broadly, strategically about issues to do with the magazine. Yeah. I'd like to zero right in on, on how a, a front cover comes to be at New York. Sure. Um, Chaos is the answer. Yeah. <laughs> well. Um, yeah. So the covers are, um, you know, we we more or less know what the cover story is going to be. Sometimes actually, if when we have invented a cover that we like, it will change what is the cover story. But generally, we know what the cover. Story. And then you just like sit in a room, and you just throw ideas around. And so, so who's in the room? Well, it depends. But I would always be in the room. Mm -hmm. um, Jody Kwan, the photo director, would always be in the room. The design director, whoever was it was at the time. Uh, now it's uh, a man named Tom Alberti. Sometimes uh, other designers. Um, sometimes other editors. Frequently other editors. And, you know, the last few years that I was editing New York Magazine, I was actually the editor in chief, and there was someone who was editing the print magazine named Jared Holt, super talented guy. Now at Slate. Who, uh, who was very important in the mm -hmm. uh, creation of the mag magazine covers. David Haskell is now my successor. He was often in those. Anyway, whoever was like interested. Um, and then you'd get around, you'd mm -hmm. sit around, and you'd come up with ideas, and, and 
you'd really come up with a lot of terrible, terrible ideas. And but, but, uh, so, if you take take a step back, you, you know roughly what's going into the next issue. Yep. And so there may be two or three options that might be the cover story, or, or you already yeah. know there's there is the Sometimes. cover story. Yeah. yeah. Like for example. Um, you know, we weren't really dead set on the podcast cover, but we kind of liked what we were able to do with that year. Stacey Abrams was for a moment the cover. Anyway, so we were like going back and forth and um, landed on that. And uh, But yeah, usually, I mean, certainly the Cosby cover we knew would be a cover and uh, the marriage cover, which I can talk about in a little more well, detail. Well, that, that was your... That was my your last, last, the last issue I, yeah. uh, I did. And so this was an issue I really had meant to you know, just go out quietly. But, every, you know, people were saying, oh, what's your last issue? What's your last issue? It never occurred to me that that would be a thing. So it's like, uh-huh, well, if people are expecting that, we might as well, like, do something different in it. So we had this in a drawer, like we have many, many, many things in a drawer all the time, this idea of doing a whole issue that interrogates why people still get married, given that the original reasons for marriage had changed so much. And I personally have always in all of the places I've worked, been extremely interested in figuring out how to make journalism out of the ordinary. Um, so not just what is in the news, but actually the way life is lived. And marriage is like, okay, people are married. Why do they get married? How do we make interesting journalism out of it? So the issue itself is, um, is kind of portraits in various different story forms, many, many different story forms. One is an intrusion into a, uh, into a couple's counseling um, of a sort of sexless marriage. Um, some of them are uh, just sort of spoken words. Some of them are places we've interviewed. We've interviewed people who were just getting married at City Hall and then ran it side by side with people who were just getting divorced. And, uh, and mostly they didn't want to talk to us at all. And so we just smushed the two things together and it was like all the hope and all then all the like cynicism and despair. So anyway, we just tried to create different ways and some of the story, some of the marriage stories were conveyed through photographs, anyway, whatever. Lots of different ways of uh, conveying marriages. And so there were, you know, probably 45 marriages represented in the issue. Um, and the question was, uh, how do we make a cover out of it? Um, and the, the, the various kinds of marriages were very different. I mean, some of them were same-sex marriages. Some of them were, one of them is a three-way um, in which two people are married, but all three of them consider themselves uh, married. There was, um, you know, obviously many different uh, combinations of ethnicity and race and, and all that. So we wanted to kind of figure out, well, how do we convey that, that there isn't like just one thing that is a marriage. It was really about the diversity of marriage in general. So we, our first impulse was to just, you know, create a kind of cartoon of marriage itself. And then uh, we, were, we couldn't figure out a way to do that. Interestingly, and, we, and then we remembered that there had been something that we had done in our, that was ran in New York Magazine a million years ago, and that was a uh, was in our book. We did a book of 50 years of the magazine, and it was, um, I have to just find his name in here. Um, and it was, uh, it, his name was uh, Ted Spagna. Anyway, he did this series on sleep, which was like the same couple and sleeping in, in this format, which is like bed, 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 um, also from on top. And we thought, well, we could do a sort of homage, which is to say we could steal the idea and, um, and do various different marriages uh, as represented in this kind of a uh, thing. And then Jody got the idea to basically, we were going to just fake it, you know, and just get models to do it. And then she said, no, 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 we could get real couples. So we, at this point, the like deadline was like 72 hours away. <laughs> and because uh, we were like, in general, these covers are done way faster than you would think. Mm -hmm. And she, she and her staff were able to find, I guess, through Facebook, I think, um, you know, say 50 couples that were willing to do this. And then we narrowed it down to what we were looking for. And then we put them in a room and we had a camera on top. And basically there were sort of prompts, which is like, you know, how do you sleep when you're mad at each other? How do you sleep when you're feeling amorous? How do you sleep in various different situations? And then we just like, it was a, um, time release uh, photography and they were just 
writhing in various different ways, and they could choose how they, some people want, you know, got into bed in pajamas, some people got into bed naked, whatever. And then, um, and then we, sometimes it was with a dog, and sometimes it was with a baby, and sometimes they were reading, and, and sometimes they were listening to their, you know, phone. Uh, and we, you know, we were able to, that way to create a, you know, interesting series of different kinds of marriages that were dynamic and exciting. And then the best part about it, though, was that we, at the very last minute, went into an arrangement with Apple News, which was launching their uh, new way that they show magazines on Apple News. Mm -hmm. And they wanted, they were, the, the deal was, the trade was, if we gave them the magazine ahead of time, they would feature it and we would get all sorts of more readers from it. And would they, and they had all these like gizmos in their new, um, in the new ways that they featured magazines that were um, multimedia and animated and moving. So they wanted us to present a moving animated cover. So on Apple News, each of these couples actually, you see them moving. You see them in. You see them making the different decisions about how they sleep in these various ways, and it, and it was all basically gifts um, because that's what they wanted and that was what was easiest. But then there was this last couple who was naked and super sexy, and um, they were. We, we we made a little video of them, and we have to figure out a way to make it so that it passed Apple's. Uh, <laughs> standards um, and, and we did one version for Apple and then we did a whole other version for we featured it on our site and it's you know this it's like one of them is just jumping into bed and it's really you know fantastically you know dynamic and 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 very kind of almost cinematic moment that is at the bottom of bottom corner of the cover so this cover is actually you're seeing it in its two-dimensionality but it's uh, the cover lives in a form that is actually moving and that's one of the exciting, you know, it's like I've spent a lot of time in the last two months as I've been talking about leaving where people, every question is just, aren't you just so in despair about <laughs> magazines? Aren't magazines dead? They're dying and you're leaving is just, a, just one more piece of evidence that, that magazines are dead. And I'm just a no, I don't believe that at all. And, you know, that the, and I, sometimes one of the things I use is pop up actually, mm -hmm. as an example. It's like you have a live magazine, that's fantastic. Magazines are now, I mean, we have ourselves at New York, we have um, four different podcasts, a lot of places have way more than that. In our case, they're actually good, and, um, and then there are other places that have them that are also amazing, and that like the, the, an audio magazine is, does, does now exist that didn't exist five years ago, and video magazines exist now and didn't exist five years ago and live you know in effect live magazines and their magazines are just they're exploding in form this is an incredible time of invention of formal invention um, even even when the print magazine this print thing um, you know is having a harder time in the world uh, supporting itself so I'm a huge uh, magazine optimist um, about this although if I was a you know publisher I would be heart sick because there is a period that we're now in where like the economics of the whole business are resettling themselves and uh, so it'll be a little bit of a while like there was in, in music or television before a viable mm -hmm. um, new e economic model has been uh, has been established I think on that <laughs> on that super optimistic note we should just we should end our part of the conversation. Okay. Thank you very much sure, for joining my us pleasure. today. Thank yeah. you. Thank you all for coming. So a uh, huge thanks to Adam for joining us. We recorded that at the Mag 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 pop-up in New York and that's open uh, every day now till Saturday the 1st of June. If you'd like to find out more about New York magazine, their photo director Jody Kwan We'll be speaking at ModMag in New York on 29th of May. Great, so join us after the break to find out what our back issue is. London printers, Park Communications, are a key part of the independent publishing scene, helping ambitious magazine makers make their dreams a reality. Over the past year, they've printed over 120 different magazines. Park offer a wide range of services to make your magazine stand out in a shop like Mag Culture. Check the new issue of Season Zine to see how Park can add value with inserts like folded posters and sticker sheets. 
Just like Mag Culture, Park Communications love magazines and we're proud to have them sponsor this podcast. So the back issue. Having heard so much about New York Magazine, I thought we'd stick with that and then have a look at one of the magazines that we talked about in our conversation just now, and that is Look, which was New York's uh, fashion magazine in the 2008-2009 period, which saw um, that powerful editorial team, and it it was um, Adam and uh, the uh, creative director Chris Dixon and photo director Jodie Kwan, again, applying their kind of visual aesthetic to a much more relaxed, leisurely, kind of photographically-led environment. The graphics are familiar, the look is familiar, but it's a fashion magazine, and it was um, not only gorgeous in its own right, but very influential at the time. There are a number of other magazines across the world kind of picked up on their massive use of catwalk pictures and, and overlaid images and the intensity of the photo research was it was incredible. Yeah, I'm really enjoying these. I'm not really a fan of society pages, but yeah. I will look at these yeah. front row pictures from 2008 until the cows come home. It's so good. There's so many stars and there's so many great features. It's, it's just really rich all the way through. Yeah. And it's uh, and it's a shame that it didn't last, but in a sense it's it's kind of um Looking at it now, it, it is beautiful and everything you just said is it stands out for those reasons, but it's also kind of slightly from that era in the sense that I think the fashion in all its all aspects has moved on and isn't quite as reverential. And in fact, I'm, I'm not sure of the direct roots, but there's definitely there's a sense that one of the um, digital properties that Adam launched was is, is The Cut, which is their look at, at uh, fashion from a slightly younger perspective. And that definitely grew out of, of this magazine, but with a very different outlook. Yeah, I think the tone of The Cut, that kind of slightly snarky, genuinely funny look at fashion mm-hmm. is, is, is kind of... I love that so much. There's so much humour to be had from the fashion world. I mean, the idea that it was started from this mm-hmm. is just so fascinating. And you can kind of see it in there. There's these, there's these great features where they sort of go through the ages of like hoop skirts and they kind of put it all together in chronological order and it kind of makes everything seem slightly uh-huh. ridiculous, but they're still serious about it. It's but that it, kind of but, knowing wink. But it is a like, slight... It, it, but it's tipped the other way now, hasn't it? It's, it's much more... Yeah. But like, this feels slightly... Like outdated doesn't it yeah look i mean it's beautiful but it's 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 of its time i don't think 2008 was a a fantastic year for anything really was it (laughs) this is good (laughs) but it's a beautiful magazine so it's 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 worth tracking down um copies if you can find them as, as as a reference point and as a record of that time definitely Anyhow, uh, enough of New York magazine. We're going to New York itself. Yes, we are. We're heading there for Mudmag, so are you, are you looking forward to that? No, not really. No, <laughs> <laughs> no I am. It's going to be great. Try and, try and muster some enthusiasm. <laughs> Any particular speaker you're looking forward to? I think Jodie Kwan, maybe, actually, yeah. after that conversation. Yeah, yeah. All of them, really. Mm-hmm. I just can't wait to be there. It's such, a, it's such a great event, and it's always... It's just always nice to kind of do what we do in London, but just kind of with the, the New York audience is just different somehow, and you, and you don't expect that to be the case, but it just is. We hope while we're there to, to record a, a, a few interviews and bits and pieces for the next uh, podcast. So yes. um, join us for that very soon. All right, see you soon. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you.